The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Sharon Kleina Hour, health, environment, and the power of water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, the power of water and water life science. We've gone through 10 years with this show, and some of the most extraordinary people throughout the world, and Holland, China, and I could just, Canada, all over the world, we've had people all over the United States join our show and be special guests. The subject, water. But I have focused on not only water on the planet Earth, how important that life of species is. And did you know water is a species? It's an organism of life. It's everything to do with who you are and the life around you on the planet Earth. It's the water. This show has been planting a seed for the future of what could come. For people around the world, eventually, when we get to grow up, be bigger at what we're doing here, that you understand that the life of water in your body is the way you're living with the life of water on the Earth surface, nature, and atmospheric life. The atmosphere is water, what you breathe. And as we recently had Patrick McEwen from Ireland on, who's been researching with a scientist out of Russia, the breathing of your life, how you personally breathe, is vital. You've been learning, don't walk around with your mouth wide open and let all that moisture remove out of your body, you need to breathe in the moisture through your nose like the earth is breathing with the universal method of what our solar system began. Breathing. That it all began with water. And your body has water per organ. And each organ of your body has to survive with that percentage of water per your uniqueness. But we live with something else that we're going to be talking to our guest about today. Dr. Neil Grigg, who's a PhD professor at the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Colorado State University. We're going to talk about something else that I want you to be learning and study for yourself. Evaporation of water. Have you ever noticed if you put a bowl of water in your room that it begins to evaporate? Have you ever noticed that if you have a water fountain, it evaporates? Have you ever noticed the evaporation of our atmosphere that you're breathing, 
there's something there with the temperatures and the climate change and more. It's evaporating water from day one of the beginning of time. Your body is evaporating from birth to death. Each individual's body water loss of evaporation is so unique. There are no two eyes alike, fingerprints alike. Everything is so unusually unique about you. Your health is your evaporation. Oh, is that something new? Yes, you haven't been taught that. Something else you haven't been taught. For example, you've been hearing a lot about dry eye. Dry eye. What is dry eye? It causes vision impairment to blindness. Dry eye is this. At the surface of your eye is 99% water at the surface of the tear film. The moment you were born, it began to evaporate as soon as that eyelid opened and you were no longer in the womb of your mother's pocket of water. The atmosphere's water vapor will communicate electrolytically to supplement the surface of the eye, but if for some reason you're not breathing right, if you're not drinking enough water, if you're not eating correctly, if you're not having moderate exercise to breathe, to breathe water, good water atmosphere, and you're not sleeping correctly, you could over-evaporate. If you take too many supplements, too much medication, not drinking enough water, you can over-evaporate. Where you choose to live, how you choose to live, you can over-evaporate. You've got to slow that evaporation down to be able to fight disease and symptoms of complaint that you may have, whether it be pain, whether it be overweight, whether it be your eyesight, whether it be dry mouth. Dry mouth is out of control because the eyes are so dry and dry mouth is out of control. That's the signal. You're over-evaporating. The brain is connected in the womb to the eyes at the same moment of development. The brain is 80 to 85% water. The surface of your eye under that eyelid is 99% water. Now, doesn't that make sense that dry eye over-evaporation is causing vision impairment to out-of-control blindness? And worldwide, blindness is out-of-control. You need to supplement that. So as the show has built its respect, hopefully, through the years, with all the most wonderful guests discussing Earth's water, Earth's atmosphere, the body water, and all the special guests we've had, for you to learn that this is this time that we put the priority on the planet as a group with water life science to be the priority of all life forever. We must have an eternity. We must leave for all the children to come with Earth's Whisper, the power of water to be here forever. We need new technology. We need new ideas, new inventions to come up with what, how, what are we going to do to be a healthier you, a healthier planet, healthier atmosphere, and be able to have life go on forever. I know it can happen. Now, today our show with Dr. Neil Grigg, 
He's a professor at the Department of Civil and Engineering, Environmental Engineering at Colorado State University. We've got a lot of questions for Dr. Gregg, and he'll be telling us what he's been doing in research because they've had some really exciting new ideas going on in research at Colorado State University. Well, listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist. And it's, it's, it's the Nature's Tears will supplement the surface of the eyes and try to supplement to slow down that vision impairment that causes you to go blind. The eyes have to be supplemented like you brush your teeth. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Dr. Craig. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleiner Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleiner Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Greg, are you with us? Uh, yes, I am, Sharon. How are you today? Well, I am fine, and thank you. Were you teaching a class before the show? No, I've had two this afternoon, but I didn't have one this morning. Okay. Well, I want to tell the audience that uh, Dr. Gregg is a professor of civil and environmental engineering at Colorado State University, teaches courses about integrated water resources, management, institutional development, infrastructure, utility management, pipe engineering, and hydraulics. Recent projects that he's been working on focus on risk management, water quality, information, technology, Mm. interdisciplinary water research, disaster response, infrastructure, dual water systems, risk analysis, and pipeline, pipe network management. You know, Dr. Greg, you and I have talked before. You have spent almost 40 years studying this, haven't you? Well, that's true, Sharon. It's uh, You never exhaust the full topic of water, so I could probably study that for another 40 years, too. Yeah, right. Mm. Well, I don't know if you heard me say at the top of the radio when, during my commentary that it should be the priority of everything first because without it, it you can tell Dr. Grigg that the health of our planet 
we're over evaporating. And that they never studied that. And didn't you say that when we were talking not long ago that there's a research project going on at Colorado State on studying evaporation? Well, we have several that relate to that, and the reason, there are several reasons for that. Um, you know, there's such a water shortage around the world, and uh, when you have a lot of uh, reservoir surfaces, for example, they evaporate tremendous amounts of water back into the atmosphere, and also crops um, evapotranspire a lot of water back to the uh, atmosphere, and so if you're going to do a good job of managing water, you have to be able to keep up with how much evaporation is occurring. Mm-hmm. Now, when you mentioned something about the crops, and of course our forests, and all the life that's growing in the soil on the planet, isn't the most important method of evaporation how healthy our soil is, the soil on the planet? Well, it's it's very important, and there are a lot of things that go on. Uh, for one thing, to have a healthy crop uh, production, you have to maintain uh, enough uh, water in the soil. If it becomes too dry, um, you know, it's not possible for the microbes to prosper and all the different uh, uh, crop uh, agricultural uh, phenomena that occur they'll just dry up and and, uh, won't function at all. Uh, And, you know, to keep up with wetlands and the environment, it all requires uh, enough water for for life, you know, just like your program title, Water for Life. It's true for agricultural systems as well as for human systems. Mm -hmm. Now, the soil, what do you think is happening? Now, I get very alarmed by... We haven't learned enough um, historically that when the Middle East is so all sand and the health of the Middle East is, because it's sand, is not able to produce the water, the, the, um, this, the crops, and, and, and be able to live the same as somebody who lives in a, in a state like in the United States where they can grow crops and the soil is very, very healthy. You go down to Arizona, you go into New Mexico, you go into Mexico, the sand, there's so much sand, it's dominating sand. The, the health of people where there's so much sand is being proven as the over-evaporation of life and sand, that when people are living where healthier soil and crops and forest ranges, that life will go on longer, if hopefully for eternity, because it hasn't turned to sand yet. Have you ever studied that evaporation? I know, I know you have, between the sand and the soil. Well, we have, and one way we look at that is in terms of what you would call uh, water scarcity. In other words, uh, which parts of the world have the uh, where the where the water is scarce, and in, in those places that you mentioned, where you have desert conditions, uh, the Middle East uh, primarily, Sahara Desert, wherever it might occur, parts of the Western United States, where it's dry, those are the places where the water is scarce. 
So if the water is scarce, it doesn't um, have the effect of building the soil back up with organic matter that can grow and decompose some of the um, soil particles and material and become fertile again. It's going to just remain sterile. Um, and, of course, that's not good for the people there because their chances of growing productive crops are much lower. A lot of times there's not enough water for them for livestock or other productive uses. So, in general, life works better in humid areas than it does in very dry areas. Right, right. Now, what is, what is healthier? Florida, where there's a lot of wetland? Or let's just use even Colorado or Oregon. Which is the healthiest atmosphere environment? And where well, the wetlands know, are at in Florida or over in those two states? You know, the question is really complicated because there's so many different aspects of health. Here at Colorado State University, um, human and animal health is one of the main topics um, for study and research. And um, there, in order to even define what is meant by health, is really complicated because you have all kinds of issues like aging, infectious diseases, etc. But when it comes to the health of your body um, itself, uh, related to uh, humidity in the uh, atmosphere, certainly your um, skin is going to be healthier in a more humid environment. Uh, your basic hydration of your body becomes really critical in a dry area like we have here in Colorado. You have to drink more water. Uh, you have to work really hard when you're exercising to be sure you don't become dehydrated. So in terms of that aspect of health, uh, you can really see the difference between wet and, and dry areas. Now, when you use, isn't there an altitude difference there in Colorado? Yes, there's an altitude difference. I'm at 5,000 feet right here. If you go wow. into the mountains, you can quickly get to 10,000 feet and on mm -hmm. up to 14,000, which is the top of our peaks. Of course, there are a lot of people around the world who live at very high elevations, like in Bolivia, for example, the capital city, La Paz, is at an elevation of 14,000 feet, and they have to take special uh, precautions for some aspects of their health. Like sometimes right. people need a lot more oxygen, you know, just to get by at those altitudes. Okay, let's go out then into Colorado and look at the soil and look at the growing the crops, the forest. How is it surviving? Well, Colorado is such a diverse state. Um, the crops will prosper only where, when they have irrigation. So we have to bring the water in from another place to irrigate the crops. Now, out in the northwest, some state like Oregon, where you have a lot of water, uh, or western Washington state, where you have a lot of water, um, you're not going to have to irrigate. But if you go down into California, some parts like the Central Valley where it's dry or the Imperial Valley where it's very dry, you have to bring in massive amounts of water. So to have any possibility mm -hmm. to prosper at all, you've got to bring the water in. And see, when I look at that, with my background in research, I look at the atmosphere's water vapor. I look at 
what's going on in the aquifers below the surface. Then I look at the surface, and then I'm looking at human life health. So as I look at the health of the surface of the earth, the water vapor that you breathe, what is happening to the health of the human life? And there is a people, we were shocked how many research teams had never looked at the evaporation side of a new potential technology to think about to slow that evaporation down. And to, to, for me, I look at everything, Dr. Greg, evaporation. From the beginning, of the from, I have a chocolate lab in my office. <laughs> she sees, I think, Dr. Akal. <laughs> but anyway, um, and, and I'm, by the way, I'm not in the, in the FDA building. I'm like, it's a quarter of a mile away from me here. But anyway, um, I look at everything with that evaporation of water that was overlooked of what would be a technology, and you might be able to say something out loud today, some of the technology that's been overlooked to be able to be sure, confident, that the surface of our planet has enough water because there's a lot of water that comes down by the rain, but the rain is all going to directions that we're not controlling to slow the evaporation, to have a healthy planet, and to be able to sure we have plenty of, of clean water if there should be a time it's not raining. Have you heard of some new technology that they're uh, studying? Well, the biggest um, area of research related to that is what's going to happen with climate change because it can affect the humidity and rainfall, um, the temperatures, the evaporation, uh, in ways that um, will change places from being wet to being dry and vice versa. It can uh, increase the uh, heavy rain. And it can increase the long periods of drought and high evaporation. And so mm-hmm. people are really concerned about that. But we don't know, of course, how to predict it because it's such a complicated phenomenon. Um, but what we're going to see in the future, I think what most people agree on, is that there is going to be a lot of changes in that, and uh, people who are not used to dry weather, for example, may have to get used to it. They may even be people who will have to move. Uh, That would be what you might call climate-induced migration. Uh, People who used to have enough water no longer have enough water, so they have to move to a different place, like agricultural societies in uh, what we call the sub-Saharan Africa, the parts of Africa just below the Saharan Desert, people in Asia where they have the monsoons and they have depended on the monsoons to grow enough crops to sustain them. All of a sudden the monsoons change. They have to move. So there's going to be a lot of change in the future, and we're going to have to adapt to it. Now I'm going to ask you... um... Describe everybody I, I talk to is very much dis, um, confused about the word global warming, a description, global warming, climate change. Expl- define what this means to the audience. Well, you say it correctly. People are confused about it, and 
there's a lot of political um, change going on about that. But basically, most people understand what is the climate. You have to distinguish between what's called the climate and what's called weather. Weather is what we experience every day. What is the weather today? Well, it's going to be hot and rainy. What is the climate? Well, in the West Coast, you've got a more humid climate dominated by the Pacific Ocean. Here in Colorado, we have a climate which is um, dominated by the fact that we're in the middle of the uh, country, and so it's a lot different than the climate would be of of California. So climate is more of a long-term thing. Most people agree that the climate is changing. Now, that means that you um, can see that it's uh, warmer uh, this year than it was last year, and then maybe over the uh, last five or ten years, maybe it's been warmer on average than it was the previous five or ten years. In California, you had tremendous drought that went on for a number of years, and so people think, well, maybe that's due to the changing climate. So you can actually see that the climate is changing, but it's been changing, you know, forever. Climate's never been uh, the same all the time. We've had had ice ages and long periods of drought and so on. So the debate comes in about global warming. Is that a long-term thing, or is it just a short-term cycle? And, you know, you can see that global warming, if the ice caps melt more this year than they did last year, then it must be warming. But the question is, is that something that's going to keep on, or is it just going to go back to where it was before? So then the bigger question is, what is... What are we human beings doing to make that happen? Are we using our cars too much and there's too much carbon dioxide in the air? And is that causing the earth to warm up? That's where the big political debate is. So it's a very complicated thing, and you have to think about a lot of different aspects of it to even begin to understand it. Now, when you're talking the weather and you're talking climate, and you're trying to educate us, when we're thinking climate, is that the atmosphere's water vapor and how it's, it's developed and its life, what it's doing? And then the weather is affected by the climate. Well, it is true. The weather is affected by the climate. That's exactly right. <clears throat> the water vapor, <clears throat> excuse me, the water vapor that's um, in the air really defines the climate because one thing you could say about the climate, you could say, well, you have a humid climate. Now, that would be the case, for example, in a state like Louisiana. So there's a lot of water vapor in the air where you have a humid climate. But out here in Colorado where we have a semi-arid climate, there's less water vapor in the air. So uh, water vapor is related to climate in the sense okay. that the vapor, the humidity and the vapor are one of the main things that determine the climate. There are more things that determine the climate, like whether it's cold or whether it's hot. And then, of course, mm-hmm. those things also affect how much water vapor there is in the air. Right. So That's what I was after. That was yeah. what I was after, is saying that that, that is the influence of the water vapor in the air 
is that the water vapor in the air is influenced by the climate. And I'm coming down to the surface called the soil and how much of our planet Earth is healthy soil and how much of our Earth is the sand. Does it, wouldn't it influence the planet Earth and its movement with the um, climate? The atmospheric water vapor would be influencing all that, depending upon what is going on with the Earth's reaction to the uh, solar system, too? Oh, yeah, it's all tied together. Thank we you. Have a pro- you know, we have a professor here who teaches a special course on that, all of that. He calls it um, Principles of Scientific Hydrology. And uh, hydrology is the science of water um, and how water moves, and it includes all kinds of subjects like how much vapor there is in the air, what the relative humidity is, um, and all of that is determined by global circulation, uh, which in, in, involves the wind and, and, of course, along with that, the vapor and temperature. the humidity, yeah. temperature, and all of that is affected a lot by the temperature of the ocean, you know, mm-hmm. and we have changes in that all the time so that we're mm-hmm. having changes in the, um, in the climate, in the local climate because of um, these changes in ocean temperature. They had tremendous floods uh, recently down in Peru, and uh, there's a big um, change in ocean temperature in the Pacific Ocean off the coast of Peru. La Nina and El Nino, when you have a, a, um, a, a warming of the ocean waters there, or it, it uh, gets colder and then the warm spot moves its location, it, all of that keeps going on. And to have a good idea of global circulation and what the hydrology is going to be, and what the water vapor is going to be, you have to look at what's happening across the whole Earth. Right, exactly. Exactly. And what is some of the technology that you believe that should be really taken serious to be able to bring together the atmosphere and climate for man's intellectual ability to have a technology that is something new ideas to be able to work together with that to maybe balance it as a technology. I believe in technology, and I don't believe in things to take their course. Um, I'm a believer that technology has been here from the beginning of time, and it it has done very well for us if we study enough. And for some reason, am I wrong? Water hasn't been at the top of the... At the, at the focus of infrastructure for new, really, really serious new technology? Didn't they kind of leave it out the door? Well, we have um, a lot of um, new technologies, but water is such a big total industry and field. It involves um, everything from the water we drink to the water we have for agriculture, water for industry, you know, it involves so many different things. And the technologies that are coming out the door are mind-boggling when it comes to things like uh, filtration of water to make it uh, more pure, uh, ways to improve the efficiency of pumping water, 
uh, moving water from one place to another. It, in, it includes things like uh, water conservation to save water, um, the uh, discovery of new plants that can grow uh, biomass uh, with less water, you know. Um, it involves new instruments to measure things down to the molecular scale uh, mm-hmm. with uh, water, so many different technologies. But water is so complex, it's so um, difficult to manage uh, with people fighting over it in cities, uh, competing mm-hmm. for it, and farmers competing with the environmentalists, uh, like out in California, you know, providing enough water for uh, the San Francisco Bay and the Delta area there for the fish and wildlife, competing with the farmers in the San Joaquin Valley. Uh, I mean, it's just it's such a complicated <laughs> industry. That, that's where the focus is. Okay, we're going to take our break right now, and we're going to come back. And I'd like to discuss what you've been learning about recycling the water, like Singapore has done, uh, Orange County in Southern California has done. Don't go anywhere, Doctor. We're going to take a moment with our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Okay. Well, our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Mist, will be in China this summer. And as you know, in China, the atmosphere is contaminated because of their industrial revolution. Um, we're going to be there with Nature's Tears I Mist with a, a, a pharmaceutical group, and we're excited. And we want you to be looking for it in China and other parts of the world not too far future. I will listen, we will listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Mist, with a 100% water, tissue culture-grade water that is sterile and safe for the eyes to supplement all day long for any age, all ages, and wherever you go as often as you want. If the eyes do not become addicted to Nature's Tears I Mist, but they do to the eye drops. So you have to be careful. I'll listen to our sponsor and be right back with Dr. Green. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Greg, teach us about recycling of water. What is happening? I know Singapore, and we've had the head 
of the uh, of the water resource management there in San Diego, Orange County, and in Southern California, where they're recycling water. Uh, could you explain, educate our uh, audience about what recycling water is? Yeah, it's um, one of those um, new technologies that we were talking about a minute ago that's really coming on strong. And the reason that it's coming on so strong is there's a lot of water shortage in these areas of water scarcity. And even places like California where you have a lot of water uh, but so many people and so much growth, um, we need to use the water more effectively and efficiently all the time. So uh, the water uh, utilities have developed new technologies to recycle water in different forms. One form of recycling water is to, to, is to use wastewater, uh, which is a nice term for sewage. Um, a lot of people don't want to call it wastewater anymore because they say we shouldn't be wasting it, we should be using it. And you take that wastewater and you clean it up with treatment technologies enough where it can be used again. Now, people don't generally like the idea of using wastewater uh, for drinking, even if it's been really cleaned up a lot. So the main uses are for things like industries and uh, to irrigate uh, crops and lawns and uh, green strips in cities and so on. So recycling of wastewater is one of the um, emerging technologies, both for non-potable uses, meaning not for drinking, which I just mentioned, and sometimes in very extreme cases for potable uses uh, to be um, used for drinking. People feel better about it if, if you're going to use it for drinking, if it's put back into the natural environment um, and cleaned again, going through wetlands and streams, and then and then diverted again to be used. That's mm-hmm. one example of water recycling. Another example is if you just take the runoff from cities in stormwater and drainage systems, and you capture that, um, you can recycle that to different uses, and it becomes really a source of water for um, those non-potable uses again, or it could be used for potable uses, but it has to be cleaned up a lot. One final uh, category that's kind of interesting is what we call gray water use. And if you take a house um, and if you and the water that's used inside of a house, if you separate what's called the gray water from what's called the black water, uh, you can recycle that gray water uh, with very little treatment. The gray water comes from showers and um, just general um faucets that are not used for flushing toilets or with organic kitchen waste. Um, like if it's coming from a shower, if you just that's a lot of water that comes from showers. So if you clean it up just a little bit, then you can put it on your yard and use it again, and, and it's a, a, a new use or a recycling of that water. So there's a lot more to be said about it, but it's a very interesting and emerging technology. Now, in San Diego... You're familiar, I'm sure, with what what they're doing in Southern California there with recycling water. Explain to us what their recycling technology is. Well, San Diego, um, Orange County, um, California, a number of other communities in California have been developing these recycling programs for a long time. Um, Take um, one of the cities, San Diego would be a good example, what they'll normally do is they'll have a, 
water recycling um, program coming out of their wastewater system. And the wastewater plant, which used to discharge directly into, after treatment, directly into the ocean, usually with an outfall, to, which is a long pipe to take the waste, treated wastewater a long distance from shore, <clears throat> they'll capture some of that wastewater uh, before it's um, uh, put into that ocean outfall, and then they'll run it back through another treatment plant uh, to clean it up more uh, so it's ready for non-potable uh, use for um, industries, uh, yards, uh, public use in uh, green strips and freeway um, uh, buffer zones and medians and things like that. And then they'll distribute that in a special series of pipes, which are usually painted purple. Uh, that's a non-potable <coughs> water system. So it's like you have a separate uh, water system, non-potable recycled water system operating alongside of your regular water system, which is going to have maybe blue pipes or older black pipes uh, for old metal pipes that are there. So it's like you have a brand new water system for recycled water. <clears throat> and of course, they have to figure out how they're going to get pay- people to pay for that recycled water. A lot of times, <laughs> yeah. the people don't really want to pay for that because they don't think it's as good as the original water supplies for us. So there are a lot of complicated issues that a city like San Diego gets into uh, to begin to, um, you know, operate that recycled water program. Now they're doing it, though. And that's the whole yes. county, Orange County, is all recycled. That's yeah, it's, a very, it's a very serious thing, and uh, the whole state of California is a leader in uh, recycled water. They have a lot of interest in it. There's even a special association of people who work on recycled water uh, programs. And I've I've talked to a number of them. I'm, it's been a while, but uh, I'm very impressed by what they're doing. Uh-huh. Now over in Singapore. Are you familiar with what Singapore is doing? Yeah, Singapore has an exemplary program. And in my courses, uh I usually talk about what Singapore is doing because they've got some innovations that are um, necessary for them, uh, but they're also <clears throat> things that can be copied by other cities. And, of course, the reason that Singapore um, is doing such impressive work is they had to because their main water supplies from Malaysia is going to be right. cut off in the future. So Singapore had to figure it out themselves, and just being one island, they don't have a lot of rivers coming through or anything like that. So they had to come up with what they call a one-water program where they utilize all of the resources that they've got, groundwater, uh, recycled water, local runoff water, use all of those resources to become self-sufficient in their water. So it's a very impressive innovation, and it's been good for Singapore because it's almost like a new industry that the city of Singapore can export to other places. What what do you mean by export? Oh, you mean the technology, the intellectual property technology. Yes, intellectual property. income from the business of it. Exactly. Is that what you meant? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Right. Now, at, um, now uh, San Diego, when I had the head of the water, Orange County Water Resources on, he said that they were studying along with uh, Singapore. Now, what do you think they're doing, like, for example, in countries of the Middle East and Saudi Arabia? What are they doing for their water resource 
are they recycling now too? Well, I could tell you a lot about that um, because um, I have students every year from Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, and those countries, and uh, we talk about it all the time. A country like Saudi Arabia, mainly Saudi Arabia because it has a higher population than some of the others do, <clears throat> although Egypt is another country with a massive population in that dry part of the world, they are having to um, to undertake some drastic measures um, in Saudi Arabia. Of course, Israel, too, because they are short of water nearby. <clears throat> but in Saudi Arabia, uh, desalting, um, is a major industry. Without desalting, Saudi Arabia wouldn't have nearly enough water. So they're desalting ocean water out of the Persian Gulf. That takes a lot of energy, and, and a big share of all the oil that they pump is mm-hmm. goes to uh, provide the energy for their desalting plant. Another thing mm-hmm. that Saudi Arabia needs to do is to manage their groundwater better because um, it doesn't recharge itself very quickly, and they've been wasting it by growing a lot of um, high-water-using crops with groundwater. They're just now beginning to start thinking about recycling of water because um, in Saudi Arabia and a lot of the Islamic countries, they've got a special water law, uh, which is uh, it's based on the Koran, and it has certain prohibitions that we don't have in the United States or in Western Europe about water. There's a lot in the Koran uh, about water management. And, uh, for example, um, they, the use of, of uh, recycled wastewater uh, would basically be prohibited unless they can find a way to reconcile their management practices with what's written down in the Koran. So <clears throat> recycling has come along slower, but uh, in those countries, they do see a need for recycling, and so they're working to develop the technologies and try to reconcile uh, their water management practices with their religious beliefs. So I believe you'll see mm-hmm. a lot of innovation in the future. Oh, good. I'm glad I asked those questions. Now, over in, for example, in Israel, uh, you say that they're having, have they gotten into any recycling yet to well, for water management? Oh, yes, Israel is uh, always, uh, well, ever since um, their independence, they've been big leaders in water management, water technologies, and uh, they've got a lot of interesting things going on. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to ask you, you would know this, the aquifers below the Middle East deserts, One time I had somebody on here from the National Geographic, and they were with an oil exploration on site, and they said, all of a sudden, here came all this water, and he thought everybody would be very upset because it wasn't oil. It was water, and everybody got so excited because they found an aquifer they didn't know was there that could go on for, let's say, 300 years. Isn't there a lot of aquifers like that in the Middle East? Well, there are a lot of aquifers in the Middle East, and it depends on where you are. The water under the desert in Saudi Arabia um, is massive in the uh, aquifers, but it doesn't recharge quickly, meaning it's what they call fossil water. 
It's been there mm-hmm. forever. Uh, so it's like a resource that if you use it once, it's gone. And that's the mm-hmm. problem in Saudi Arabia. Over in Libya, uh, they have tremendous uh, quantities of water in the aquifer, so much that when Gaddafi was the leader of the country, they developed a special program to pump that and to create a man-made river. They've got giant pipes to bring all of that groundwater to the coast and to the cities to use it. Uh, That kind of a policy is a little bit risky because once you've used the water in those places, then it's gone. Countries like Israel uh, and Egypt, too, they've been more careful about using groundwater. They don't have as much of it. Um, and mm-hmm. so they they have better programs to manage it on a more sustainable uh, basis. So it depends on where you are, And mm-hmm. but uh, groundwater is a tremendous resource for those dry countries in the Middle East. Now, are there some countries that have a recharging hydraulic to where uh, they, uh, if they would try to get along, they could begin to share like we do here in the United States? Yeah, the the whole business of managing groundwater together with surface water and recharging it is increasing in importance. And there's a new technology which is called Aquifer Storage and Recovery. It has a short uh, title, ASR. And um, the purpose of it is to create um, a technology where you can recharge the aquifer when you have excess water and then use it again when you need it later on. And Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. being developed uh, in places like Arizona, Colorado, Mm -hmm. Middle East, and places, too, Mm -hmm. where where you do have a source of recharged water. Wonder. Oh, that's good news. Now, I'm going to go back to the atmosphere. Um, The atmosphere, the water vapor of the atmosphere is all influenced by this. And the influence of the water vapor of the atmosphere, let's call it climate, is influencing the water that is uh, the rain and what is happening with the surface water. Is there any new technology to be able to work with that to have a healthier climate by learning new technology to work with the water vapor of the atmosphere? One of the most exciting um, technologies that... um is being tried in different places, it's also controversial, is the green roof technology. It's part of generally what's called green infrastructure. And what uh, the scientists have been finding is that in cities, uh, the heat island effect is very strong. Heat island, of course, is the obvious thing. You have a lot of asphalt and pavement and roofs and metal. It, It heats the cities up. And, of course, right. that evaporates more water. It, it makes a, um, a, a climate which is not as healthy. So right. the idea is to require green roofs, and they will transpire water out of the uh, plants that are in these green roofs, and they'll humidify and lower the temperature of cities. Uh, the reason it's controversial, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people don't like being forced to do things like that, so we'll have to see how well it's like it works. like when I flew into Japan the first time into Tokyo. And I thought I would dive my head, and I saw all these green roofs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, uh, and then back to, uh, I was, when they had so much problem in, in Louisiana this last year, and I questioned their wetlands and how much pavement 
And then I asked something else, Dr. Greg. How many windmills do they have and solar systems do they have that could be adding to it? Now, I go a little different than some of you do, but I'm not convinced that windmills and solar panels are going to help, let's just say, the atmosphere. And I'm alarmed by it. What is your thinking? Well, wind energy and solar energy are controversial in a couple of ways. Um, they have, they're still increasing in their application, and, of course, they, they do bring some energy that we didn't have energy before. Right, but... but they, they, yeah. yeah, they have negative effects like uh, big windmills, uh, wind turbines uh, will kill off bird life and... Sometimes they produce a lot of energy that you can't use because it's only available when the wind is blowing. Another thing that's controversial right now is we've still got all of these uh, old uh, coal and natural gas and nuclear plants that need to be paid off, and if they're displaced by the wind, uh, we're going to have a big debt that we can't pay off, so we need to figure out Mm. some solution to that. So the jury's still out about a lot of that. Right, right. And see, where I come from is even those solar panels. To me, if you get more of those, plus you have the pavement, and then you have all of these other uh, modern um, excitements that we all put in our everyday life to make our lives very exciting and entertaining and, and uh, let's say, mobile, that that may cause more evaporation to the atmosphere. I've, I've... how why how could it not be more evaporating? Yes, yeah. That's where I get concerned about evaporation. That's the topic of everything I touch, evaporation and water. Well, thank mm-hmm. you for joining us today. I enjoyed it. We got a lot of education. And uh, did you think of anything else, anything I missed? Well, there's so many things you can think about. Uh, there's uh, it's endless, Sharon. But it's been fun talking to you again today. It's and nice. To a lot of interesting topics. <laughs> well, thank you so much for giving us your valuable time. You have a nice thank day. You. you too. Thank you. Right. You be well. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, did we learn a lot today? Uh, we brought up a lot of topics about recycling. And uh, there is no doubt that everything in your life is being recycled because of the atmosphere. That's how Earth began, was that droplet of water. And always remember, Earth had that blue circle clear around the planet Earth, blue. But all of a sudden, way back billions of years ago, the atmosphere changed and began to evaporate a heavier drop out of that mist called rain, and then that's where we're at today. But there's a thought. We need more technology. Can you be innovative enough to come up with ideas where the water cycle of our planet Earth and the way we're living with the solar system can complement each other? Can we start getting along in our ways of living because we're all living here together in an atmosphere. And we'd like to see it go on forever for the word eternity so that life can move on, be healthy, prosperous, and, uh, and, and breathe 
and try to figure out the cures for those diseases from the water. And I truly believe that there is a mission here with all the face of the planet, that, and the face of the planet, I call it God, that we're here for, under, for life to be saved, the earth to be saved, and for your breath of life to be saved. But you can look for cures in water, and those diseases could find cures, not just remission. Uh, I have I've been told my time is over for the power of water and water life science today. I want you to embrace your life, every special moment, but also embrace somebody else's. But earth whispers, don't take all that water with you. Think about all those children for, for billions of years to come that each child will have clean, fresh, and the power of water in their life. Thank you for listening, and you do well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. 